Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer, the podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer, the podcast, wherever you are listening to this show about coffee, or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 20 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today I'm joined by Kevin Shin and Jason Walker. Kevin is the founder and the original head roaster of North County Roastery in Oceanside, California. He's also part of the neighboring team at the Finn Hotel, and he developed their switchboard restaurant. Jason joined this burgeoning empire to take on the challenge of hospitality management and coffee roasting. Because we cover so much during this episode, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, kind of like the Cortadito I'm drinking right now. The Cortadito is a Cuban variation of the Cortado, which substitutes heated sweet condensed milk for fresh milk, which was often historically unavailable to most of the country. And I hope you're drinking something interesting as well and you get a chance to sit and enjoy it while listening to this interview with Jason Walker and Kevin Shin of North County Roastery in Oceanside, California. I appreciate you guys taking the time, and I would say welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Uh, I'd appreciate it uh, if you could just... Let us know who you are, your name, and your title, and the business that you're working for. Sure. My name is Kevin Shin, uh, owner of North County Roastery. And I'm Jason Walker. I'm the manager of North County Roastery and uh, and the roaster and self-appointed uh, director of field research. I, mean, I go out and try all the other cafes in town. Yeah. Uh, I hope you have a business card that says that. <laughs> well, well, we need to get one for sure. I know for myself, uh, having done a lot of uh, entrepreneurial things, I think half the reason I do it is just so I can have business cards that I can give out with cool titles on them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. North County Roastery. It's in Oceanside, California. Um, I stopped in there. I don't know when it was. Maybe it would have been 2021. Met you, Jason, just for a mm-hmm. minute. Right. You guys are also part of the Switchback Hotel uh, in the Finn Hotel, I believe. So I just want to clarify before we get too far what the relationship between the roastery and the hotel is. Yeah, it's the switchboard restaurant. Um, so, so, excuse me, switchboard restaurant. That's fine. I got um, I partnered up with the the Finn Hotel, and so I am a uh, partner with the Finn Hotel, which is a Hilton Tapestry collection, and then I uh, carved out their food and beverage program. So now you're looking at the switchboard restaurant and North County Roastery, and then soon to be the Canvas Bar next door to that. Oh, cool. And so uh, you said a, a Hilton Tapestry Hotel, essentially like a boutique kind of specialized small hotel, not like something you'd find on the highway exit. 
Absolutely. So with Hilton, I do believe that we're still the smallest Hilton in the world. We have 27 rooms. This is one of them that we're doing this podcast in. And the tapestry collections are meant so that you can drop your bags and then see what the community has to offer. So when you see the switchboard and you see North County Roastery and the canvas bar, you're going to see a snapshot of the, the bigger picture that is Oceanside. Sure. And just your location is, I mean, a few blocks away from the pier, a few blocks away from kind of the, what you'd consider the main drag of Oceanside. So you're right there in the heart of everything. Let's uh, get back to kind of coffee a little bit. I'm wondering if you guys have ever had like a first experience with coffee that made you think this is interesting that may have led to North County Roastery, Roastery in the future. Yeah. So I guess what took place was like six or seven years ago, I went up to Seattle and I actually didn't really care much about coffee. It was just a, a utility for me to wake up. And I walked into a coffee shop. I wish I could remember the ones that I went to, but they there were so many of them and so many micro roasters and just just in awe with the, the crafting experience behind that. And there was one unique fellow that I was asking too many questions and he realized, he goes, oh, you're one of these guys. And he had me weigh out some beans and like be a part of the process. And I just, I felt so immersed behind it. Um, I really experienced what fresh coffee was as opposed to what I had been getting. And then I came home and the bug just stuck. Like the whole reason why you're doing this podcast and all the guests you have, we all, all of a sudden found that elation to want the freshest roasted coffee. So before you go, Jason, I want to ask a follow-up on that, Kevin. When you came back six, seven years ago, what did you start doing differently here in Oceanside or here in, in Southern California that kept you on that coffee journey? I had just had my first daughter, and so I was pretty darn tired. And then I didn't. it didn't really sink into me until I was looking for that experience again. And I would find it through some of the great some of the great shops around here, like Steady State. And, um, but I also wanted to explore more beans myself. So I just pulled the trigger and got a hot top at the time and completely smoked out the inside of my house and just got, just got really into what the differences were with all the beans, how you roast, just kind of went down that same path. I think a lot of us had, have done. Jason, what about you? Do you have kind of a first memory of coffee that made you think, you know, this is, this is something I'm kind of into? Yeah. Now that I'm in it, I definitely can look back on some experiences from a long time ago that probably helped influence getting me here. I spent a few years living abroad right after college, and some of those months were spent in Australia, which, has, which was kind of my first exposure to like a really strong coffee culture and just uh, people caring a lot about about what they were drinking. And so that was unique for me and just loved that, that learning experience. And through those travels, I was also like, I lived in a couple of wine regions. And so they're talking about, you know, flavor notes and all these things that I'm, I'm now seeing here uh, now that I'm working in coffee. Uh, but one of my last stops on that international trip was in Central America and spent some time in Guatemala and Honduras. And I was leading these hiking trips for this traveler's lodge, backpacker's lodge. And so we were hiking through coffee farms to get to uh, different waterfalls and caves and just kind of cool stuff to see. And as part of that experience, uh, I was meeting with coffee farmers and just kind of getting to know them and learn about their situation. And 
met with a couple of co-ops that talked about, you know, economic and sustainability issues that they were having. Um, so that was just really interesting, but that was back in 2012 and kind of moved away from it for a while. But roasting for me really started last year. It was a probably beneficial for me that COVID happened as far as just gave me a chance to like reset uh, my life. I just kind of looked around at what I was doing and was not feeling super fulfilled in my corporate job and tried a bunch of different things. I, you know, I went and uh, took a plane ride down in San Diego and thought I was going to get like a pilot's license and, you know, started just looking all over the place for something different that I could do. And then uh, found California Coffee Roasting Collective out in San Marcos and started going out there and sourcing samples from a bunch of different places and loving the like trial and error and just kind of the experimentation of, of roasting on uh, their little Mill City sample roaster. So that was my first exposure to roasting. And then I knew that I needed more experience. You know, I'd never really worked as a barista before. So that's when I found Kevin, found North County Roastery and was able to continue, you know, learning more about roasting through working here at North County Roastery. So did you just apply for a job at North County Roastery or how did you guys kind of find each other? And it sounds like, Kevin, you were starting a roastery maybe without having a full-time person to roast. You want to take this one? Well, so Kevin's Kevin's actually been roasting for a long time himself. You know, he's been roasting for five or six years now. Um, So he was doing all the roasting for North County Roastery at the beginning, Um, but he's a, he's a busy guy for sure. He's got his hands all over the place. So, but I was actually hired on in a assistant manager position. And uh, so I was going to learn how to be a barista. I had restaurant experience from when I was younger and managed a couple other companies, tourism businesses, mostly. Um, so it's just kind of like a good fit as far as my like leadership background and hospitality background. And then the trade-off was if you look after the restaurant and the coffee shop uh, during the day, you'll get to get your hands on the roaster and, and take over roasting. So that was the, you know, mutually beneficial relationship we started with. And, uh, you know, Kevin's definitely been the uh, like mentor to my my roasting journey for sure. Sure. He's the master splinter to your Michelangelo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which that's my official Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference for the show, which I try to get in at least I've heard once. a couple of those in your previous episodes. <laughs> Kevin, I w- I'm wondering about kind of the, the synergy between the businesses and at what point you decided that you wanted to do a coffee roastery in this space. Uh, just to describe for people, if I'm looking at the front of the building, there's kind of the the coffee roastery is in the middle of the block, and then to the left is the cafe restaurant, and then the hotel lobby on the corner. How do you see all of these businesses working together, and, and how do you prioritize where you are spending your time? This is a big question. It's something that I do. I apologize. So answer as you see fit. But but then what, what was that motivation to say, you know what, I've got this this thing over here, and I think a coffee roastery would really make sense for this business? Yes, I definitely wanted to open up a coffee roastery. I was looking around scouting locations in 2019 and to take a step back, I'm originally from Los Angeles and I made my way down here by the Marine Corps. They told me to be here. And I remember this building from the past. I think there's a lot of humor in that. If you're an Oceanside resident, you know that this place was, uh, when it was the Dolphin Hotel, it was a, a different experience. And I wasn't even allowed to, oh, what's that? <laughs> I was going to say, you could use the word sketchy, right? Sketchy is a good one. Uh, you know, <laughs> the nickname in the core was, it was the Dirty Dolphin, and you were not allowed to be within premises of the location. 
And um, so when I saw it and I saw what the, the two owners have done, I was, uh, I was impressed. And it's one of those things where you can be part of the, the notorious side of this hotel. So, you know, you know, when you're a teenager and you're said you're not allowed to do something and then you go do it because you're a teenager, it's kind of that feeling. But I love Oceanside. I, I've always known what it's about. It's my first, the first residency I had as an adult, you know, being in the core and then just kind of planting my seeds here from back in the day and like in the 90s. So to see the burgeoning of this city is exciting, but it's really exciting to be a part of it. The, the two owners here, they, um, they love coffee. They might love coffee more than me. And so when I said I wanted to do this, it became a great partnership. In order to do that, though, I had to open up their bar and the food and beverage program first. So that's where the switchboard came about. Yeah, the switchboard, take a step back, the hotel was built in 27. And then during World War II and Camp Pendleton got built out, they needed to increase their communication. So the building got taken over as a switchboard operating center. And um, they would house ladies in these rooms and then they would have the switchboard operations in the front. So it was kind of an homage to those women that were here. But it was a, it's a little trippy just because, um, you know, my background is, you know, family from Hawaii and being Korean, that's kind of where the cuisine presents itself. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to knock that out. I'm going to open up the coffee shop. We're going to be jamming. And then 2020 hits and I'm, I was slated to open in about March or April. Uh, that got pushed out with the switchboard in, you know, in about July. And I just had a battle through that. And then that uh, initial winter to kind of get myself ready to open up the coffee shop the year following. So that got definitely put back for about a solid year. And then finally got to open up my dream, which was North County Roastery. I just became that jar hit and pushed through. What was kind of that, that um, the emotional part of that, where you're going, I, where you think you're going to open something and then COVID happens. How did you manage kind of that, it, where you were kind of cut off at the knees before you even started? And, you know, how do you keep pushing forward? What, what inspired you to keep doing that? Or is it a situation where you're like, I don't have a choice. This is happening. But yeah, a lot of that. So basically, um, I told people that were around asking the same question that I, I essentially popped off my side and rear view mirrors and just floored it. There's really, really no other way to go at that point. So you're already financially committed. You know, you, you put your heart and soul, you had a, you had a dream, you're going to go for it. And you just hope it's not going to be too long-term in regards to the pandemic. So just moved forward with that. Um, I'm in the fire service too, so I, I had to kind of jump back and forth and kind of uh, run through all of that. But what makes you really move forward is the the employees that you have, that you see so much dedication towards. You know that they're getting their paychecks from you, so you just, you, you don't want to leave anyone stranded or anything like that. It's just things that you learned from, I don't know, I just learned from my folks, from the Marine Corps and whatnot, you just... You keep your crew as tight as you can throughout any kind of uh, any kind of battle like this. Worst timing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I I ran restaurants and hospitality for twenty some years. I think I I kept doing it a lot longer than maybe I should have because I I loved being around the team and I loved having 
being able to train them and then see what they would become, you know, even when they would leave whatever business I was running and take on their own challenges. That was, that was more rewarding than even the day to day of the business, you know, and the number side of it, the number side of it was stressful, but the, the actual team part of it was amazing. And I still miss that. Uh, you guys are both drinking coffee. I should have asked this. I apologize for being a terrible host. Uh, what are you guys drinking today? We just got a um, a batch of organic Peruvian coffee, and I've never had Peruvian coffee. I just like the tasting notes that it came with. Um, we just roasted it light. It's got a heavy body, and I think it's going to be our house coffee. It's kind of that classic coffee taste that I was looking for. So I had found it in a Colombian bean too, but I kind of think this is better. So we've only done two batches. We just got it in at the beginning of the week. We did two separate batches and this is uh, the second batch. So that's pretty much all we've been drinking this week and yeah, loving it. And we've been using uh, like Ethiopian and Colombian blend as our, as our house coffee, but we're liking this one so much. We might, we might need to switch over. Peru seems to be kind of, I don't want to say up and coming, but I think it's getting a lot more awareness in the coffee community and doing this show and you guys being in the roastery, sometimes I think it's hard to, to understand, to know what the mainstream might be seeing. And so even now, like Ethiopia and coffee seem to be so ubiquitous in the coffee scene here in San Diego. But if I were to say, ask my wife, if she likes an Ethiopian coffee, she'd just look at me like, what are you talking about? Like, it's not part of that lexicon yet. And Peru feels like it's kind of on that, that upswing. Yeah. And, you know, um, so I nerded out in the beginning, like all of us probably trying different beans, kind of seeing, you know, what the trends had been in this whole third wave movement. But I also look at myself as like a layman too. I always try to peel back and say, you know, what do I remember? And I, I feel like there's been like two directions with the flavor profile. There's always been this bright citrus feel that people are looking for, almost like the equivalent to an IPA. And then there's like a traditionalist feel where people really do like that, like chocolate, mocha, nutty flavors um, from the past. Um, and so I try to cater to both of them and just for myself, because I, I swing back and forth in regards to what I want. And then I educate from there when it comes to the guests. Then I start kind of showing them the flavor wheel and more about what altitude does and region does and if they want to go down that path. But I, I try to start off really broad with um, anyone who shows up and wants to get to know coffee a little bit more than what they're used to. Sure, that uh, stage that we as coffee drinkers are in uh, matters. I mean, there was certainly a time where I wanted to try every new IPA that came out. And then there was a time where it's like, I just want to drink Sierra Nevada all the time. Like, I don't, you know, you kind of, people go through phases in that and coffee is, is, in the same vein as, as, the, as beer or wine where people get real excited and buy a bunch of different stuff and try all these different things. And then there kind of gets to a point where you're like, you know what, I've got a whole busy day. My brain is, is not functioning elsewhere. I just need the thing that I know I like. Um, it sounds like that's what you're, you're feeling this Peru might be. And talking about that coffee, you know, Jason, I kind of wanted to know a little bit more. You've been learning from Kevin now that you are developing these coffees on your own, what, what are your theories or how are you trying to treat these beans as far as preparing them before they go out into the world? Right. We've got a 
really large lineup of coffees now. We've added like three coffees to the existing five or six that we had when I first came on. And when I first started, I was probably sleeping like three or four hours a night because I was just taste testing everything and you know having seven or eight coffees a day and just could not you know get myself to not be wired all the time kevin's style of roasting was definitely always to be on the lighter side and we always want to you know focus on being able to taste the differences in the coffee and uh know how region and processing and altitude can can affect coffees so we always we always keep things on the on the lighter side um, and then I've added, you know, some dark roast coffees and blends for the people that enjoy those the most. So it was just a lot of experimentation at the, at the beginning. And now we have such like a wide range of coffees that we're able to, to, uh, you know, ask a few questions to the customers and find one that, that should work for everybody. Part of the beginning of that process of having so many coffees was we added a couple of, uh, fermented naturals from Colombia, which are, I'm starting to see those in a couple other cafes in the area as well, where they're just totally different than, you know, your, your traditional cup of coffee. They're really bright, really fruity, uh, can even get really like funky if they're fermented extra long. So we've got, you know, three Colombian coffees that are processed different, but from the same region. And that was kind of having those three and being able to lay those out for people and have them taste the difference of what could have been pretty similar coffees if they weren't processed differently was kind of the beginning of the inspiration for what we wanted to do, I guess, with just focusing on people being able to taste the different flavor notes uh, from each place because of the way that we were roasting. When I'm thinking about Oceanside in general, and I, I'm going to change tax just a little bit, I'm thinking about a community that is very quickly growing in their craft coffee experience in the last five years. Camp Coffee opened up, you guys have opened up, Communal's down the road, and they're brand new as well in the area. Vigilante Coffee just opened, Steel Mill just moved out of their space, but I knew I know a new coffee place is moving in down the street. How do you attract, you know, Oceansiders or tourists to North County Roastery? You, obviously, you're offering them this craft product, but how do you get your brand outside of that, you know, the, the hotel space and get people to recognize like, hey, there's this roastery over here doing their thing. And how does the city of Oceanside kind of influence that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think a lot of it was predicated with the switchboard restaurant. So opening up the switchboard, I thought I was going to fail. Like it's a, it's a really, those was really good odds. <laughs> if, you're, <laughs> if you were in Vegas, I think you would have bet against me. So I, I did what I could to kind of reach out to the community. I kind of had this thing like I'll throw life rafts at the other restaurants and the other businesses that are local, just kind of being as a part of the hotel um, and just really just reach out to them and see if they can succeed. And then that, I think that paid dividends on the other end. So I, I got to know a lot of great people. And I think, you know, you're, you yourself can remember um, being in hospitality, just when you meet your patrons, they're family after a while. So I was fortunate to kind of open up the roastery a year after the switchboard and everyone kind of understood where my philosophies were. So I was able to just grab quickly a good chunk of customers that just kind of already knew what I was in for, you know, and I had been telling them the whole year what why I really wanted it to open up. <laughs> the switchboard it was for the roastery 
Um, so then they got to see my passion kind of come out. And then that being said, you know, I, I do stuff on a probably different level of the community involvement. There is, um, I'm on the board of the Chamber of Commerce and, and with the museum. So I kind of reach out into those avenues um, and find those communities and try to bring them in as well as um, just getting to know anybody who comes into the coffee shop as well. But we really try to do what I remember when I was in Seattle, which was when someone comes in and they start asking questions, then I know that they want to be educated just as much as they want to taste the coffee. So it's really about just bringing in those unique experiences for the customer other than them getting a cup of coffee. I think another, uh, another big thing the you know, the switchboard has gotten to be pretty popular as a, as a restaurant here in Oceanside, it's one of, you know, it's got a great following already. And then with the coffee shop being added on later and breakfast was added on to the switchboard after already doing lunch and dinner. And we're really trying to build that as, you know, an exciting place for people to go, especially on the weekends, you know, we're, uh, we're getting to the point where we're overflowing during those brunch hours. And we're hoping that a big part of that is that, you know, you're able to serve these high quality coffees alongside this unique Hawaiian and Korean fusion food, you know, and it's just a place that's going to be a little bit of a different experience. So the, we get this great, like guaranteed flow by having the hotel guests there, you know, and they, they love it. They're like, I'm staying in this boutique hotel that happens to, you know, roast coffee on site and you know, what better option to have when you wake up in the morning, if you're traveling. Um, and then we've got the, the locals that know us because of the restaurant and they come in and now they're starting to appreciate us as a coffee business as well. Um, so we kind of leverage that, you know, having the restaurant following as a way to get our coffee out there more and more. Sure. And I think that's where that question came from. I, we talked earlier just about how you're right in the heart of Oceanside and not a hotel that you'd find like at a highway exit. And I think that was something that was maybe more prevalent in the past where you had like the hotel bar was like a place that people went to go that weren't hotel guests. You know, we started getting to this uh, hospitality convenience thing where we started putting all of our hotels and motels out by the exit, but you weren't really experiencing the community. And that gave Airbnb an opportunity to really expand because that's what people wanted was to get back into the community. And now you're offering kind of a hybrid of that where you have the convenience and the professionalism of a hotel, but also that local flair and vibe. And that's something I think is really kind of cool. I, I, I just got my start bartending in hotel bars a long time ago. My first job ever was in a tiny inn and hotel. And I worked in the restaurant and worked in the attached bar. And this was, you know, this was like 17, 18 years ago, back in Northern New York, where I grew up. And it was funny to kind of come full circle and be attached to another like small place that's got a similar feel. And, and yeah, like, but if I was traveling, I would stay in a place like the Finn if I was coming to Oceanside and yeah, to have what we've got this great, uh, like craft cocktail, tiki style cocktail list that they can come and have. It's almost all like small batch, uh, liquors and things that are, that our bar managers put together. So it's a really nice place to, to have a drink when you first arrive and have some good food and then wake up in the morning and have good coffee and. So it's a, it's a great layout for sure. We definitely get great feedback from the people that stay, stay in the hotel as well. And I feel like now is when I should ask you uh, for maybe the most interesting thing that's happened in the hotel since you guys have been involved. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, 
Yes. That's a loaded question. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, we might have to do it off air. We can always edit it out. Yeah, <laughs> I was to say. Ooh, wait, let me roll it up to that one here for a second. Um, I think the shoot, that's a good one. You got me there. We're gonna have to move to the next question before I can like. I gotta think of that one. Yeah, you think about that. <laughs> I'm a, I'm already going through my own memories of hotel bar experiences, and uh, I was lucky enough to work in a hotel bar that was very close to a very very large rock and roll festival. So all of the roadies would stay in our hotel, so things got pretty rowdy uh, from time to time. On your social media, you guys have been posting quotes, and I noticed this because I don't notice a lot of other people doing it right now. At least sometimes they're inspirational, sometimes aspirational. How does that relate back to your brand? Because they don't, they're not like quotes about coffee per se, or, you know, about food or beverage or anything. They're just things that you're putting out into the world. Yeah. Come down this rabbit hole with me. So here's how it all happened. So when I had this dream of opening up a little roastery, I envisioned having a coffee roaster and then I was going to hang up a picture of my mother and I. So I'm a total mama's boy. Uh, she inspires me, you know, like, uh, came from a war torn country, doesn't know the language comes here, becomes very successful. So I'm just trying to see if I can even get a percentage of that kind of success in my own life. But that inspires me in the morning. That's like when I see, um, any struggles that I'm having, I can look at that photo and just go, you know what I'm, you'll see a photo of me like in my dress blues as a Marine, I'm hugging my mother and you may see this Marine, but I'm looking at the one who really scares me, which is <laughs> my mom and God forbid she has a wooden spoon. Right. So that's, that's what I see. So then from there, I was like, well, I would like to actually consider kind of the brand and the mantra of being something more inspiring. What, what inspires everybody else? Um, what words that do we use in the coffee world that are, are actually more inspirational? That's kind of where the, the strong and bold phrase came from. And then that's where I started looking at like just the imagery and, and the biographies of the people that have been around us and, you know, on this planet. And, uh, and I told myself, if you're a guest and you're coming in, you're probably tired. You probably need something to pick me up. Um, I can do that with you with the coffee, but I can also give you a little bit of an antidote when you're just trying to figure out how to like kind of push forward. Uh, so the imagery that you see in the shop, you look at and you go, you know what? I pale in comparison compared to what these people have struggled through. And today shouldn't be a problem. Uh, that's where kind of the quotes come from as well. Just to kind of let everybody know that we're all in this together. And there's ways to kind of take that next step forward. Who are some of the people that you do have imagery up? I, I've been in your shop, but it's been a minute. I'm trying to remember it. But who are some of those people that you've chosen to kind of inspire? And do those change over time? Or are they kind of ingrained? Those are the people that we're looking for. They're kind of ingrained. It could probably grow over time. Um, I always, lately I've been looking at Amelia Earhart. She's just, oh man, she is one bad chick. Um <laughs> You'll see like an imagery of the man who was standing in front of the column of tanks in the Tiananmen Square massacre, unknown individual, didn't even know he was on a camera and he had decided to 
try to uh, prevent more violence. You got Bruce Lee. That's like my kid hero growing up. You see uh, some of the firefighters in 9-11. You know, it's something that I, I definitely uh, hold strong to. And on the other side of the wall, you see imagery of, you know, s- some great people from Oceanside. Uh, I'm friends with the Seos family. So you got Junior up there and, you know, uh, his brother David and I picked that photo. And it, you can kind of just see, uh, you know, what a stud he was through his career. Very interesting. Um, I'm thinking... Jason mentioned that he took a pilot's lessons and you just mentioned Amelia Earhart for anyone listening. And for you guys, check out, uh, Beryl Markham. Uh, she was a woman, uh, pilot in Africa, I believe did the first, um, Atlantic ocean solo flight, uh, mm-hmm. for a woman. And she was, she was intense. There's a great book called West with the night and it's kind of her memoir. I remember one reading that and just being impressed, but also reading it and feeling like I could take on the world. If this woman could do what she did in, in that time period, then I've got no excuses <laughs> for anything. So I, I, I think that those those things that you do put out and when I'm scrolling through my feed, they do stop me because they're kind of, like you said, strong and bold is your kind of motto there. But you're like, oh, OK, yeah, this whatever I'm going through today, I maybe can relate to this. What is on deck for you guys? Um, we're going into what at least temporarily feels like a brief reprieve from like our COVID situation in 2022 and maybe a sense of normalcy. I think people in hospitality have experienced what feels a little more normal faster than other people because you're engaged more and you're engaged daily as opposed to like me where I can stay home and choose to stay home or, you know, I get to pick my level of engagement. What What's coming up in 2022 and kind of what are the goals beyond that? Yeah, 2022 is busy as it has always been. Um, so we are definitely trying to um, increase our educational experience for the customers, actually have a nice curated events where we can show everybody the roasting process or you know, showcase a bunch of different beans, let people can uh, compare and contrast, see what kind of makes us excited and share that. And then on another side is... I didn't really plan on doing too much wholesale or private labeling, but I am friends with the Knoll family. That's uh, Bradley Knoll from Sublime. They are they are trying to create Bradley's House, which is a um, a sobriety living center for musicians. Um, they'll try to put a little bit north of us. Um, so I grew up listening to that music. Bradley was a huge influence of mine. I'm uh, honored to know this family and all for their cause. So I was talking to Jacob, his son, and Kelly, his his brother. And I said, well, why don't we make a bean and we'll donate, you know, for the causes. And since it's going to be called Bradley's House, we'll just make Bradley's House blend. And then that'll be, um, that'll be one of our profiles that we'll, we'll get out to the people. So they're excited about it. We're excited about it. We're just trying to wrap up the design and get the bagging going and kind of get it out to the concerts that they attend and sell it, you know, in-house and try to get this, uh, get Bradley's house open as soon as possible. Is there anything that I didn't ask today that we didn't cover that you want people to know about or that I, you know, that I just missed? I would just say like the, you know, the overall feeling that we try to put forward is just to be, you know, one of the most down to earth coffee shops you can walk into. You know, we've always tried to keep coffee affordable and just a welcoming environment. And 
uh, we want people to know that they can walk in and ask questions about coffee and not feel like they're going to get any sort of, you know, snobbiness or pretension and just, you know, we're there to help everybody uh, like understand and appreciate coffee as much as they can. And, you know, we love, we advertise doing roast alongs so that to the public so that people can stop by while we're roasting and see that process and, and watch what we're doing and ask questions. And, um, we definitely just hope to be a place that people that appreciate good coffee can come into and, and, you know, be with other people that are enthusiastic about coffee. I guess the last thing I just want to mention is that we've, we're, we really love our cold brew as well. I think we've got some of the, some of the smoothest, tastiest cold brew in town. And mm-hmm. probably my plan for the summer is to, uh, leverage that cold brew to make a, you know, a good menu of drinks that we can offer through those hotter months that are cold brew based. And that's something that I'm excited I'm working on for the next couple months. Very cool. The last question I ask everyone is when you guys are out getting a coffee, can't choose your own coffee, you're going somewhere else. What are you guys ordering for yourself? Um, as the director of field research, I do a lot of this. Um, every, <laughs> every, uh, like you mentioned, there's so many new coffee shops in the area, and I try to get to as many of them as I can. And especially, and I'll you know go further afield for places that roast their own beans and everything. So, you know, first time I go into a place, I'll I'll get a drip coffee, an espresso, a savory snack, and a sweet snack. You know, I'll try to try as much of the menu as possible. I definitely, for the last like 10 years or so, just drank black drip coffee until a friend told me that drinking black coffee is not a personality trait. And I took that to heart <laughs> uh, and started, uh, started at least uh, being open to a little bit more, you know, variety. So I'm like a oat milk flat white if I had to choose something uh, a little bit fancier than a drip coffee. Yeah, for me, outside of, I'll always show up to the first place and get their pooled espresso and then usually occasionally go towards their black. But the reality is when I get used to a place, I'm uh, ordering Cortado nonstop. um, I'm not a big heavy milk person, but I do want some of it. And that's like the most perfect version of coffee for me, I think, is a Cortado. I'm a black coffee guy, which is why I do the hosting and I'm not the guest because there's just no personality <laughs> to, to interview. <laughs> yeah. I definitely took that a little personally when my friend mentioned that. But... <laughs> oh, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I haven't heard that. So that's, uh, that's what I'm going to take with me today. I'm going to write it in my notebook and just look at it every day and say, you need to expand your horizons. Uh, I really appreciate you guys taking some time to chat with me. I know you guys have a lot going on and you're very busy. I'm looking forward to getting over to Oceanside again. Uh, anyone who listens to the show knows that I live near there. I appreciate what you're doing, and, and uh, I hope you have a great summer. Hey, appreciate you. Thanks for getting the word out. We love all these other coffee shops that are coming about, that have been here, that have maintained the legacy. I think uh, I think more is more. There's a reason why they call it Hop Highway, and if someone can come up with something clever down this coast, I think uh, we can come up with something, too, for that and uh, really show the world what we've got for coffee around here yeah and uh i think i'd regret if i didn't say you know thank you for having the podcast when i you know when i was choosing what to do next so one thing that i loved about coffee was how much like free education was out there and how like welcoming uh the community of coffee was so you know i was like reading sprudge build outs reading daily coffee news uh scott Rao books all that stuff but then found your podcast pretty early on too so 
you know, thanks for taking the time to interview everybody and keep the enthusiasm going. Yeah, you're a stud, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) I knew there was one person listening, so I just had to keep going for you, Jason. To recap, the Finn Hotel is a boutique Hilton Tapestry Hotel. Connected to it is the Switchboard Restaurant and Bar. Connected to that is North County Roastery. I had a chance to stop there recently, and there's even more to this entrepreneurial effort under construction. We were reminded today that there is no one way into the world of coffee. Kevin is a true coffee head, and he got his start after an experience with craft coffee in Seattle. A lot of us who have gotten into craft coffee understand that feeling where we have so many more questions than answers. Jason had more of a slow burn to his coffee passion. Traveling to coffee-appreciating countries like Australia and living in areas that focused on other craft products gave him some of the language and background, but it was really an examination of what he wanted out of life and then some trial and error that brought him to North County Roastery. Besides just the coffee conversations, one of the reasons I love interviewing entrepreneurs is because of how much I learn about the history of a community. In this particular case, the rejuvenation of the Dolphin Hotel, or the Dirty Dolphin as it was once known, into something new and beneficial to the community that still manages to tip its cap to the past. Learning that the adjoining restaurant, the Switchboard, was named after the communications operators that worked and lived on site during World War II sent me spiraling down an Oceanside, California history rabbit hole. Another reason I've loved doing all 86 episodes of the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast is because I get inspired and motivated hearing all of the stories about how entrepreneurs have persevered. COVID hit after Kevin was invested into the business, but before he could open. There was no turning back, so he tapped into his well of experience, put on some mental blinders, and pushed forward. Sometimes the only way past a tough moment is through it. With COVID, there was, and there is, no avoiding it. Kevin found his motivation to keep pushing forward in the lessons he learned from his mother and in the employees and the team that he feels responsible for. The North County Roastery's de facto motto is strong and bold. It seems to apply to more than just the coffee. I know the Bradley's House Blend coffee is still coming soon, But if you want to learn more about the efforts of the Knoll Family Foundation to build a six-bed recovery facility that will provide treatment for people in the music industry with opioid addiction, I'll add links in this week's newsletter on RoastWestCoast.com. And if you want updates on North County Roastery, follow at north.county.roastery on Instagram, that's periods in between each of the words, or head to NorthCountyRoastery.com. Thank you for listening to the show today. I'll be back with the last Coffee Smarter session of Season 4 and the last episode of Season 4 and our second with Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee Source later this week. We'll be talking all about flavor extraction of coffee and a little bit about the vague language surrounding it. I also want to thank this show's other coffee industry partners, including Leap Coffee. The team at Leap is celebrating their sixth anniversary on Friday the 15th, They've got a special coffee release planned, and they sent over a discount code for you to use if you want to buy some of their coffee online. Head to www.leap.coffee and use the code BDAY6, all capital letters and the number 6, to get $6 off any order of two bags or more. 
B-Day 6 is the code, and it is good through Sunday, April 17th. Our other partners deserving shout-outs are Café La Terre, Ignite Coffee Company, Moster Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, First Light Whiskey, and Zumbar Coffee and Tea. If you are looking to get some good coffee or whiskey or green coffee, they are a great place to start. All the links to the partners are on the front of RoastWestCoast.com. Just check out the list on the right-hand side of the page. If you are looking for a job in coffee, check out the coffee jobs thread on RoastWestCoast.com. It's still new, but it's always growing. Industry partner Camp Coffee Company is hiring for a shift supervisor right now. All the details are in the thread or follow at We Are Camp Coffee on Instagram for job opportunity updates. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope that this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through another day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.